Okay, right, cool. Chill, Matt. Chill, 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 chill. Okay, yeah. You are listening to Ocean Potty, the podcast hosted by me, Mads Ocean, marine biologist, underwater content creator, and general ocean frother. Each week, I invite a new guest on the show for a chilled glass of wine or two and some lighthearted chat about the ocean. So stay tuned as I attempt to prove that it's not all doom and gloom for our blue planet. Welcome to the first ever episode of Ocean Potty. I am beyond stoked to even be able to say those words to you now. As you can tell, this podcast has been born amongst the craziness of COVID-19. I have just been furloughed from my job and have suddenly found myself with time. Time to do those things that I guess I probably wouldn't do if I wasn't locked up in my house in London. So here we are today, the first ever episode of Ocean Potty and kicking off the series is a really exciting guest. Today with me, I have marine biologist and underwater videographer, Jacinta Shackleton. So without further ado, welcome to the show, Jacinta. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about you and what you do? Sure. Um, so I am a marine biologist and I work out on the Great Barrier Reef on a little place called Lady Elliot Island. So it's the southernmost uh, coral cay on the Great Barrier Reef. Uh, So what I do there is basically a job that focuses a lot on education. So we're trying to educate um, everyone, young and old, basically about the reef, um, the current pressures that are on the reef, um, the beautiful wildlife that we get there, and I suppose the future of the reef as well. Now, it's interesting that you mention the future of the reef because the last few years for the Great Barrier Reef haven't exactly been fantastic. Can you tell us a little bit more about what's been going on? Sure. So um, in the last five years, we've had, we've now had three uh, large-scale bleaching events. So in 2016 and 17, we did see back-to-back uh, coral bleaching on the reef, unfortunately, um, which did have quite a high um, percentage of coral mortality from that. Um, and then again this year, we have just seen it happen as well, just as of probably the last month or two. So this is the third mass bleaching event that we're seeing in five years. Yeah, it will be, unfortunately. So I've got some stats here in front of me as well. And in 2016, 29% of shallow reef corals died on the Great Barrier Reef. And again, in 2017, there was a further 19% um, of shallow reef corals that died. Again, what kind of comparison do you have on Lady Elliot Island? So where I am working currently, um, we don't really have any percentages as of yet. uh, But just from kind of doing coral surveys and just generally looking at our coral cover, uh, it doesn't look like it's going to have too much of an effect at Lady Elliot. Um, I can't really say the same for other areas of the reef because I'm not too sure yet. So at the moment, there are a lot of aerial surveys still being conducted um, and they're still looking at the uh, water water temperatures at the surface as well uh, and just seeing where those temperatures are kind of building up and it's, it's, you know, causing a lot of bleaching. So... We're not sure yet. (laughs) 
So it's really interesting that you mentioned the aerial surveys because I actually had another um, podcast interview which should be coming out shortly um, with another podcast guest earlier in the week Um, and we were discussing the implications of drones in research for shark research and how they can be used to monitor to monitor sorry shark populations from above. Um, But another application of drones, of course, is being able to monitor coral reefs and coral bleaching. Um, And actually, in preparation for this interview this morning, I was reading an article um, which said that from these preliminary aerial surveys that have been done by the Great Barrier Reef Marine Park Authority, um, they think that this bleaching event might actually have a larger footprint than um, the previous ones have, which is really, really quite scary. Yeah, it definitely is. So I've actually never been to the GBR, um, but earlier this year, I was fortunate enough to head out to Ningaloo Reef, which is on the other side of Australia, and it's actually Australia's largest fringing reef. Um, And that reef seemed very, very resilient to climate change. Um, Obviously, there are a lot cooler waters that run through that side of Australia. Um, Do you know why this part of Australia might be more resilient to climate change? No, but I have a feeling that it's quite possibly not surveyed to the same extent that the Great Barrier Reef is. Yeah. Um, and quite possibly maybe the surface, uh, the sea surface temperatures aren't climbing quite as high, but I don't know too much about the West Coast. Yeah. Um, I have seen how beautiful the coral is there. <laughs> <laughs> it looks absolutely amazing and I'd really love to visit one day. You absolutely should. It is spectacular um it's one of the most gorgeous reefs i've ever seen and it's also quite a different reef too so you have these massive calcium carbonate structures which are these structures that the coral builds um and they're in these hues of blue and brown and and purple and it's really really special but um something to note actually about the ningaloo reef i think is that um it's also much, much less diverse than mm. the Great Barrier Reef. So there are a lot less species of coral. How many species of coral do you have on the Great Barrier Reef? Uh, we've got over 600 different species of coral. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. That is incredible. And we've got over 2,000 fish, 133 sharks and rays, um, and so on and so forth. So we, um, yeah, it's, it's very, very diverse over here. And, you know, in particular areas, you've got an opportunity to see um, just a huge percentage of that diversity at once. So areas like where I work, um, you're very, very lucky with that sort of thing. You've got a, a chance to see you know, everything from lots of different species and formations of corals to hundreds of beautiful little invertebrates all the way up to, you know, manta rays and whales. So, yeah, the Great Barrier Reef is a... Is a absolutely unique place it's amazing and this of course is one of the reasons why we absolutely must protect it because it's an area of such such high diversity so let's come back to the the threats um this warming warming water and these temperatures that are currently threatening the great barrier reef how is this actually causing bleaching and and what is coral bleaching so our biggest threat easily at the moment is going to be climate change unfortunately and climate change is causing these warmer waters. Yes. So one of the impacts of climate change will be um, rising water temperatures. Um, also, that can lead to um, 
rising um, sea levels as well, ocean acidification. Yeah. Um, and with the with the coral bleaching, basically, as you know, what it involves is with coral, coral, and this is quite a confusing process for a lot of people to understand. It's, it's, we try and use a lot of um, imagery to try and um, make it a bit easier to, to grasp. But basically with your coral, it's an animal. So the animal is called a coral polyp. And then living uh, within the coral polyp, you've got um, an algae called zooxanthellae. And basically what that algae does is it photosynthesizes and it actually produces up to about 90% of the coral's food requirements. So it's really, really beneficial for the coral. But if the environmental conditions change in a way that the coral does not like, for example, you have a decrease in salinity or you have a rapid rise in water temperature or something like that. There's quite a few different things that can cause it. Uh, the coral can bleach. And what that means is basically that algae actually becomes toxic to those coral polyps and the polyps will push them out and get rid of them. And as they're doing that, they're also losing, you know, that 90% of their, their food intake. So it's very difficult the coral actually needs to do it to survive but it's then going to eventually starve if it doesn't recover so one really 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 important part about coral bleaching that we need everyone to understand is that coral bleaching or bleach coral is not dead it is hanging in there it's hanging in there it's just waiting for those conditions to return to normal so, so this is when the coral is in that state where it's looking white. Yes, exactly. So bleach coral, you've got that um, really white appearance. And that's because that zooxanthellae, sorry, um, the algae is providing it usually with its color. So when it kicks it out, it's losing all the color and you're just seeing that calcium carbonate skeleton. So if the conditions return to normal, for example, the sea temperature drops back down, the coral can actually recolonize that algae and it can recover and it will slowly get its color back and it will you know thrive again hopefully um, but the problem is if the conditions do not return to pre to pre-bleaching conditions um, that's when you can have the coral actually die you can start to see mortality and a, a really really good example for this for anyone that's listening is in the documentary chasing coral mm. Um, you can actually see there where they record a time lapse of it and you'll see the coral going from being healthy and alive to bleaching to this white. And then when it doesn't recover and reuptakes the zooxanthellae, it actually turns to this kind of algal covered structure, mm -hmm. um, which looks very, very different to the bleached coral. And that's what we don't want to see is we don't want to see that coral that's, that's you know, covered in that, that kind of slimy algae. Um, Personally, though, around the island, we actually have a lot of damselfish and they're farmer damselfish. So what they'll do is they'll grow their own little patch of algae and that becomes their home. So one hurdle that we have um, realised is as we're taking guests around, kind of explaining the process of coral bleaching, there's a lot of areas that look like mortality, recent mortality, when in fact it's actually <laughs> a home that's being created by some of our farmer damselfish which is interesting. Now, that's really interesting that you talk about that because um, when I was doing my master's research out in Wakatobi, um, the farmer damselfish had almost taken over 
Um, the sh- so where we had the shallow reef, which had had a really, really high level of mortality in the 2016 coral bleaching event, and it basically wiped out a lot of the coral in the one to two meter depths. And snorkeling around there, the farmer damselfish were just thriving. They'd colonized all of this dead coral. And mm-hmm. as you say, they grow this um, filamentous algae that almost looks kind of fluffy and, and they and they nurture it. And that's like their little patch. Very aggressive little fish. <laughs> they certainly are. <laughs> but um, the thing is as well, so the farmer damselfish might be doing pretty well out of it. But of course, if there's less coral, does that mean there's less fish diversity and fish life in general? And how how will the other species on the reef be affected if the coral is gone? Exactly. Yeah, it's going to be, um, I guess, quite interesting to see um, how it turns out in the future. And it is, it's, as you would have seen as well, I haven't so much seen it firsthand, but it's quite sad when you see species still trying to persist in living on a coral reef that's dead. And you do, you end up with those areas that just have vast expanses of dead coral, but you've still got lots of little fish trying to live there. And, and yeah, it's, it's quite saddening, really. I mean, it's absolutely heartbreaking um and one of the really interesting statistics is obviously that um of course i can't remember the statistic and one of the interesting things is that a piece of dead coral cannot support the same amount of fish life as a piece of live coral does Mm -hmm. Um, and this is one of the real real tragedies and it's something also that I saw last year out in the Maldives um, when I was out in Bar Atoll and I saw a coral reef that had completely shifted. It was a different reef, the assemblage so the species of fish that were present on the reef was completely different, Uh, lots more grazers, lots more parrotfish, Uh, it was a reef that was pretty much gone um even some of the structures were kind of worn away and for me this was something really truly heartbreaking mm-hmm. yeah i and so for me i haven't really been able to see that i did go up to do you know lizard island yeah i do yeah i did go up there probably about a month and a half ago and it was really interesting to see um the the difference in i guess the species of coral there the health of the coral and the and you know um, the species of fish that were living there—it's it's quite quite different compared to the Southern Great Barrier Reef. Um, yeah. Mm. Now it's uh, obviously not looking fantastic for the Great Barrier Reef, um, but it is not over. It is not dead, and it's not all doom and gloom. So, what can we do as just regular citizens in order to help make a change before it is too late? Yeah, so I think one of the most important things is spreading the word that the reef is not dead. So this is a really, really key message because if the general public and if everyone listening to this and everyone listening to the news or the radio thinks that the Great Barrier Reef is dead, then what is the point of even going there to visit it? We need people to know that there are these absolutely pristine, untouched areas of the reef Um, that there are areas that have suffered very, very little impact from these coral bleaching events. And we need everyone to to know that, you know, we need them to to come and visit to try and, um, you know, help the the outcome of the reef in the future. So I guess in terms of things that people can do, if they're visiting the Great Barrier Reef in particular, 
um, when they're coming out with, you know, various tourism operations, each day they're actually um, part of their fee actually goes towards the management of the Great Barrier Marine Park. Um, and, you know, this reef is actually one of the best, if, if not the best, um, managed reefs in the world. So with the establishment, I think I think about 33% of the Great Barrier Reef is actually a green zone, which means, you know, no touch, no take, no anything basically. Um, and what they found in those zones is, you know, um, because all these species are protected, they – so for like a good example of this is um, coral trout. So in surrounding areas, you'll have um, a really high abundance of, of coral trout. And that was one thing I actually noticed because Lady Elliot is a green zone. We have just so many big fish. We have so many large animals. We have so many fish and they're all nice and protected here. And obviously they are going to flow out of the green zone and um, into other areas. But it's that's one thing that's really important to kind of maintain, you know. So, you know, that coral reefs are really productive ecosystems and it is important that we do have those species of fish around so that people can, um, you know, have a livelihood from from coral trout yeah. and from other species. Yeah, yeah so, and it will be really interesting to see how people's livelihoods are going to be affected because I think something that a lot of people don't realise is that 25% of all fish species in the ocean depend on these ecosystems, on coral reefs at one stage yeah. in their lives. So it's not just going to be the loss of coral reefs that is felt locally. This impact will be felt right across the ocean um, in different ecosystems. And it's something that we therefore really, really need to protect. We certainly do. Yeah. So on to a little bit of a lighter note now, um, and I am absolutely dying to talk about this. But if you haven't already followed Jacinta on Instagram, I super recommend that you do. Um, Jacinta is also a stunning underwater videographer. And I was absolutely blown away when I first saw her Instagram feed filled with such diverse underwater marine life um, just from one tiny island on the GBR. So Jacinta, come on, you've got to tell me, how did this underwater videography journey start? <laughs> this is a funny one. So uh, I've always loved nature and pretty much ever since I was a little baby, my parents always said, yep, you're a water baby. You just always want to be in the ocean. You always want to be out exploring, seeing something new, seeing something wild. And prior to starting my job out at Lady Elliot, I did love to go. I went snorkeling whenever I could. I'd film whatever I could. But I think as soon as I really started my position out there, my world just totally opened up. And I started out with, gosh, what was it? I think it was probably a GoPro Hero 4. And I just went out and I just started filming like whatever, whatever I saw. And I started popping it on Instagram and people started watching it and, and it started to kind of, you know, gain momentum. Um, and then I would, I upgraded my GoPro and got like a dome. And then I got this really cool video of a manta ray uh, courtship oh, train. I think I've seen that one. And that was picked up by, yeah, that was picked up by Tourism Queensland. It's in some of their uh, advertising now. And I just kind of kept going 
Um, I think one thing for me is I'm in the water so much. I'm in the water <laughs> before work, during work, yeah. after work, pretty much every I day. So I'm really, I really maximize my time um, in the water. That's for sure. And you know, I just, I it's it's such an amazing place because you actually you get to see different things each day. Um, and I've been really lucky as well with the people that I've met out there. So I met this really fantastic couple that actually ended up getting married there. Um, and we were chatting one day and they offered me their old camera. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, I'll take their camera. And they send it to me and it's this beautiful Sony in a Nordicamp oh house. Oh, my God. And so then that was like a whole new thing for me as well. So then I'm kind of learning how to do proper underwater photography. Um, and I think basically with me, I think it's just been – I've just built continuously on my skills with it. And it's, you know, it's great when you have such a wide range of creatures around you and you can, they're comfortable with you at Lady Elliot. That's what's really amazing. So, you know, you learn how to interact with these creatures and you stay nice and calm and still and you don't get too close to them. You just kind of let them make those decisions. This is something that's really incredible about watching your videos as well is that you managed to get so close uh to the turtles and they're so chilled they're so chilled yeah and the rays they don't mind you and and you have this really nice interaction and they seem so happy so comfortable on camera yeah and in terms of interactions um probably one of my most special was i think about two weeks ago uh, and I was flying off the island and I decided that I wanted to go for a snorkel that morning. So I jumped in at, you know, um, 5.30, 6 o'clock. And within about five minutes of being in the water, I saw this ornate eagle ray, oh, which is um, very rare. Gorgeous. Um, and I saw it and it was really, really special to me because I've never seen one before. And I just had like a bit of a moment and I just kind of cruised around with it and it didn't mind me being there at all. And I got that really beautiful video that I've put up on my page. Wow. Um, and that was really, really significant to me. And I've also been really lucky to, to have a, quite a few snorkels with our resident dolphin, Bubbles. Oh. So Bubbles is a male dolphin and he comes into the shallow water and he feeds. So what he likes to do is we have a school of Big Eye Valley mm-hmm. and he loves to just, harass them um so he usually isn't actually trying to eat the fish themselves he he probably is but what he does a lot is he actually terrorizes them until they get so stressed that they vomit and then he eats the vomit oh wow pretty gross but (laughs) that is pretty incredible you know like you're in like two meters (laughs) yeah you're in like two meters of water and he's zooming around jumping up beside you and um, yeah, and I guess probably one other really notable um, interaction that I've had is, have you seen my tiger shark video? Um, oh, probably, probably, probably. Yeah. I was in the water at about quarter past five one morning and I'd just gotten in, I was just cruising along and I was trying to actually fix my big camera set to change my settings and I looked up and there was this rather large um tiger shark just coming straight for me and i was only in about two two and a half three meters of water wow i've never seen a tiger shark up that close and half of me was just going oh my god look how beautiful this animal is like the 
you know, it turned and went past and I could see all the stripes and I was just going, wow. But my heart was just doing something totally different. <laughs> I've actually yeah. um I've actually found the video right here. I'm watching it right now and he comes right up to you. Yeah, it's gonna be crazy. It is so crazy <laughs> and he is stunning. Those stripes are so beautiful. Yeah. Um, but I actually only saw my first ever tiger shark this year out in Ningaloo. Um it was actually on the day before Christmas. It was the best Christmas present ever. <laughs> and um the boys on the boat were laughing at me like, You're a marine biologist, get in the water. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, but also he's massive and I'm kind of scared um, and he's a tiger shark yeah. um, and he was pretty big, so... It's big. Yeah. So yeah, they get huge ones over there, hey? They do. They really do. <laughs> so before we finish up now, I just wanted to ask one last question for you, Jacinta. And obviously this podcast has been born during the COVID-19 crisis and a lot of people across our industry and across the tourism industry, the dive industry, marine biologists everywhere have been affected by um, the virus and the implications that it's had on the ability for people to work. So I just wanted to know, have you been impacted by the virus at all? Um, what's kind of going on? Yeah, so for my business, we weren't able to stay open just because of you know the, the threat that someone could get it or, or something like that. Um, and the regulations as well. So basically at the moment, I'm at home on the Gold Coast, um, but I am heading back out to the island pretty shortly. So there are, they're trying to establish kind of like a caretaker program. So we need a team of people that are out there looking after the island and making sure that everything is running smoothly and all the equipment is maintained. I personally um, recommended that I should be the turtle caretaker. I thought it would be a really good position for me. Um, so hopefully I'll get to go out and do that soon. <laughs> Does that mean you look after injured turtles or are you just kind of monitoring the population around the island? I'd just be monitoring their population, just swimming with them daily, just checking in, seeing how they are. Um, we are also just coming to the end of our turtle hatchling season as well. Oh, so wow. we still have those little babies running down the beach at night, sometimes during the day. Um, so may as well monitor them while I'm there, I figure. <laughs> That's really awesome. And I really can't wait to see them on your Instagram. Um, yeah. So anyway, I think that is a good place to pause this potty episode. Um, where can everyone listening to the podcast find you? Uh, just, uh, yeah, just my Instagram, which is my full name, just into Shackleton. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It has been really, really fun to discuss all things coral reef and Great Barrier Reef with you. You are welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Just one more thing that I did like we did mention as well. Um, but yeah, I, I really do encourage everyone to come and see the Great Barrier Reef. It is absolutely incredible. It will change your life. I've had so many people that have come out to the reef um, and literally just burst into tears when we've gotten them in the water and they've seen it for the first time. And we don't need, what we don't need is people listening to all the, the crazy, crazy headlines, mm. things that are saying, you know, the Great Barrier Reef is dead, you know. It's, mm -hmm. it's not dead. Yes, it's definitely under threat. There are pressures uh, on the Great Barrier Reef at the moment and into the future as well. But for now, I really can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it's an incredible place. So I would love um, everyone to come and see it at some point. And I guess Lady Elliot is a great place to start. 
And I, for one, shall definitely be coming out to visit as soon as all this COVID craziness is over. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Jacinta, and I will see you all next week. You have been listening to Ocean Poddy with me, Mads Ocean. As always, you can find the podcast on social media as at Ocean Poddy and me as at Mads underscore Ocean. For additional episodes and info about the poddy, head over to our website, newwave.store slash Ocean Poddy. And remember, it's not all doom and gloom. Stay healthy and have a happy week, guys.